If you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, to the book of uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter number 4, Matthew 4, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there might be one in the song rack, or if you got it on your iPad, iPod, you, maybe you've got it memorized, it's on your contact lens and they're in your eyes, or I don't know, but Matthew chapter 4, and I want to speak on a subject that I announced this morning, and want to just get right into it, don't want to go too long. But Matthew chapter 4, and let us notice this text. I'm going to look at several verses tonight. But Matthew 4, and uh, looking down into verse number... Well, let's back up a second. Lori, where are you? Are you here? Okay. I see your mom. I see Carol Lincoln. Let me recognize a ministry tonight that uh, uh, kind of gets overlooked. It's our Lord's Supper ministry. And so every time we have the Lord's Supper, Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, we have two ladies that prepare that. And so that's getting everything out, making sure it's uh, ready. And, and uh, the, uh, the crackers are now fresh, not stale like they used to be. And it's real grape juice, not some watered down Kool-Aid or whatever we had before. And so these two ladies are Charlotte Vaughn. Charlotte, would you stand please? And Carol Lincoln. And that's who helps prepare our Lord's Supper for our church. So I just want to thank them and I appreciate it. And I think sometimes they have too much fun where it's, you know, we are ready for this Lord's Supper. And uh, so a great time of fellowship. So Matthew chapter 4, we'll look at just a couple verses tonight. Uh, Matthew 4 verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Notice the activity he's doing. He's preaching and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Next verse, Romans chapter 10. If you can't find them quick enough, uh, you can always uh, just jot down the references. But Romans chapter number 10, and the scripture says here in verse number 15, Romans 10 and verse 15, it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Notice what it says. How shall they preach except they be sent. Uh, preaching and pastoring is a calling. Yes. It is not a job. God says, except they be sent. And that's the Holy Spirit that sends. And then if uh, let's look in First Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. And just kind of build in a foundation. I want you to see some of these preliminary verses. But First Timothy chapter 1. And looking down into verse number 12. First Timothy 1 and verse 12. Paul says this, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me. In other words, when God calls you to do something, he also equips you or enables you. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So that was the apostle Paul. I was faithful and God put me in the ministry. And then let's look down at 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're right there. Here's the qualifications for a, a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary, if you will. And, and just want you to see these. First Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, that means overseer, he desireth a good, and there's the next word, work. So if some of you guys think preaching is, man, what a vacation. You stand up and holler Sunday morning and then golf the rest of the week. Uh, he said it's a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, 
vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. That means when he preaches, people get something. They learn something. Not given to wine. That means he cannot have an addiction. No striker. That means he uh, doesn't get in a fight at the drop of a hat. Not greedy, a filthy lucre. In other words, he doesn't always have an angle on things and got his hand in everyone's pocket. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house. That means, and this may sound strange, he's the leader of the home, not her. He's the leader of the home, not the kids. He's the leader. He's the ruler of the house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. So the kids follow too. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? In other words, if it's not working at home, God says, don't export it. It's got to work at home, and then it's an outgrowth of the home. And he says, if you're going to uh, lead, this is the key. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. A novice is someone that's a new Christian. And that's why we always kind of hold off when someone first gets saved, not to give them a position of leadership. Let them get their feet uh, wet. Let them, let them go through discipleship. Let them learn what they believe. And, and so he says, so the pastor or the leader uh, can't be a novice. Uh, give him some time to grow. And then let's look in 4.13 for a moment. Chapter 4, verse 13. So we're talking about this, uh, this qualification of a, of a pastor, a preacher, evangelist, if you will. 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attendance to reading. So there you go, young people. If you don't like to lead, uh, read, you can't get to lead. So if you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be in the ministry one day, you have to be a reader. What's that mean? You're taking in. You're learning. You're growing in knowledge. Uh, well, I don't like to read. Uh, uh, you're going to limit yourself. Paul told Timothy, give attendance to reading. Well, I hate it. Well, I hate it while you read it. And, and so, uh, and, and he says, exhortation and to doctrine. And then let's scoot a little further over to 2 Timothy. Pastor, when are you going to be done? Oh, we're just getting started. But 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, thou therefore, Paul tells Timothy, the pastor, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to be in the ministry, if you're going to lead, he's saying, you've got to be able to take some hard times. Endure hardness. Don't whine. Don't complain. It comes with the territory. I guarantee you those NFL players today uh, who want, by the way, the, the end is near. The saints won today. The end is near. The rapture is coming. The saints won. They beat it. I don't know if they beat them, but they won. And, 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 and so what do you say? I guarantee you in those locker rooms tonight, they're taking off the pads. They've got cuts. They've got scrapes. They've got bruises. So what? They made $5 million playing in that game. I'll take some cuts and bruises and scrapes for $5 million for a few hours on Sunday. But they're not whining about it. It comes with the territory. They're NFL players. Uh, they knock someone's block off. They get their block knocked off. Uh, they get tripped. They fall. They get stepped on by cleats. It's a part of it. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, endure hardness. If you're going to lead, he said, it's going to be tough. And then we see in verse 15, 215, he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. You got to have time to study. You got to make time to study. 
A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul tells Timothy, he said, Timothy, you better study this book so you know what you're talking about. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You got to know this book. You have to study. This is what it means. Here's where it's defined. Here's the background. You have to know that. That's what he's saying there. And then in 2 verse 23, and he says here, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender stripes. Paul's telling Timothy, don't get sidetracked on tangents. Uh, 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 the earth is flat. Preacher, when are you preaching on that? Are you kidding me? Uh, the UFOs, the aliens are going to come get us all. That's the right. Look, uh, be careful all these tangents on the internet. Someone wrote a book, some, some preacher somewhere. Uh, the leader's got to be someone that's solid and not falling for all these tangents. And I talked to you about the flat earth after the service or uh, anyway. But 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, he says, preach the word. So the preacher is to preach the word, not opinion, not politics, not what someone told him, not what's popular, not what's in style. He says, preach the word. Then he says, be instant in season. Basically, that means preach it when it's accepted. Preach it when it's popular. And then he says, out of season. Preach it when it's not popular. Preach it when it's not accepted. Preach it when people don't like it. As Stephen, when he preached outside of the gate of Jerusalem, and he preached that sermon and they stoned him to death. Ask Elijah when he came into town and Ahab said, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Ask the apostle Paul who in Galatians 4.16 it says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, it's a strange thing. We can go to the doctor and he says, You're overweight. Lose some weight or you're going to die. We give him 150 bucks. Thanks, doc. I got a good doc. We come to church. The pastor says, You better stop doing that or God's going to kill you. I hate our pastor. He's mean. <laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe I'll just tell you to lose weight. I, I don't know what I'll do. But he says, Preach the word. Be instant in season. Out of season. Here's what preaching is to do. Reprove. That means point out what's wrong. So sometimes, like this morning, we talked about the good news. We talked about meditate on that. Some sermons are going to say, hey, you got something wrong in your life and wrong in your marriage. Here's what's wrong with you. Sometimes it'll do that. And then reprove. Rebuke means you're the one to blame. You put the blame. Hey, it's not everyone else's fault. You're the way you are. It's you. So sometimes that's what preaching does. And then he says, uh, exhort with all long suffering. That means let us tell you how to get right and then doctrine, how to stay right. So every time we have church, the message has got to do at least one of those or two or three or all four or it's not real preaching. He's called the elder, the bishop, the evangelist. That's his name. The teacher, the shepherd, watchman on the wall or a man of God. Every Christian is called to be a pastor or to help a pastor. And you as a Christian have to determine which one are you going to do. Either pastor, get you a church, lead that church, reach a city, or buckle down somewhere and help a pastor. Can you turn on the amens from the sound booth back there, Mark? Turn the amens on. Hey, where's that guy who helped with the sound? Where is he? He left us. All right. Thank you, Brother Mike. I appreciate it. You can go to sleep now. 
I told Brother Mike when he came in, he's got those suspenders. I said, you remind me of Yukon Cornelius. You remember on, uh, uh, y'all don't watch cartoons? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's in the Bible. And uh, I've had four pastors in 59 years. Three are in heaven. One is 81 years of age and still preaching in Texas. I never knew how difficult pastoring would ever be. I remember as a teen watching camp speakers wax eloquent, holler and scream, and that's what I want to do. But that's always, young men, the icing on the cake. That's about this much of the ministry. Uh, that's, that's just a little part. It's all the other things you have to do if you're going to do it right. There was a church my brother told me about in New Orleans. They were looking for a pastor. Here's what they said. We have our building paid for. We have older members, about 30 members. We have $500,000 in the bank. The salary for the pastor is $100,000 a year. That's New Orleans money. Wow. That's, that's, that's Confederate cash. And here's what they advertise. We are dying off. We have no pastor. We don't care how you live. We don't care what your kids are doing. We don't care what kind of marriage you have. We don't care what you preach. Just come be our pastor. We don't want to die and not have someone to bury us. There's a lot of churches around America they don't have a pastor and they can't get a pastor. There's not enough to go around. A pastor is supposed to be young, yet look older and experienced. He is to work 18 hours a day, yet home enough to be a good mate and a good dad. All of his kids must turn out for God, yet he must attend everyone's birthday party, everyone's anniversary, and every school ball game. He must hang around to fellowship after each service, but be available for unscheduled counseling appointments. He needs to prepare four brand new messages per week without help from writers and television prompters. He needs to be humorous, yet serious. He needs to, uh, 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 to preach on prophecy, yet be practical. He has to stand for biblical truth, yet please everyone in the congregation. He needs to preach against sin, but not those who are present, not their sin. Those who are not in the service that night, their sin. He needs to listen to the elderly repeat their stories and show photos of loved ones. He needs to be at every activity, write a new book every year, uh, never grow old or slow down his schedule. He is to read a book a day, lead souls to Jesus every week so the baptistry is used. He should exercise three times a week to stay in shape. He needs to travel to other churches to be a blessing, yet never leave town. He, should never turn, he can never turn off his uh, 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 phone in case there's an emergency at night, yet get a good night's sleep to be refreshed the next day. He is supposed to fast seven days a week for all the congregation's needs, yet eat a well-balanced diet so as to live to be a hundred. He can never repeat an illustration, yet he must tell all his stories to the new attenders. He has to remember everyone's names, their children's names, their new mates' names, and their new mates' children's names, and every bus rider who ever rode the bus one time on a big day. 
He is to give tithes and missions and every love offering to individuals in need, yet be an example of being debt free. He is to return texts within one minute, yet try to stay focused on every conversation and meeting and task. He is to try to schedule an annual vacation with his family to prove that they are number one, yet while with him, they don't really believe it. He has to stay late after church to counsel while his family waits to entertain company they invited over, yet desire the kids to want the ministry. He has to listen to angry people vent their anger about stuff, each other, yet remain in control and never vent his anger. He is to be burdened. He will give an account of helping reach his city and train his people and lead. His house must be impeccable at all times. The lawn manicured, the car washed for the drop-ins that need to stop by. He must be a Bible scholar, a counselor, a referee, a discipler, a coach, a cheerleader, administrator, leader, prayer warrior, soul winner, and public speaker. He is to retain the height of a rhinoceros, yet have a tender heart. He is to be available, but in the prayer closet all the time. He is to have a rigid schedule and get it all done, yet be flexible. He is to be joyful and sorrowful. He's to laugh at others' corny jokes and give a thumbs up at all their memes and silly texts. He is to have a great marriage, obedient kids, faithful to every service while some members come Sunday morning only. And if there's no birthday party or important events or sports events on television, he's to be able to compete as he speaks with people who've listened to rock music and rap music all week and done nothing but play video games and watch cartoons. Yet he is to be able to stand up with a book, open it, and compete for their attention. He must be up to date on all the news, Kelsey and Taylor included. Yet know where the books of Amos and Obadiah are in the Bible. He is to help those who are fallen into sin without condoning their sin. He's to be patient, yes, yet eager to get the job done so he does not appear pushy. He's not to be discouraged because of people who quit on the great commission or walk away from God's will. He's to be out soul winning 12 to 18 hours a week for 38 years, but praise those when they give out a track when they tip at the restaurant. I love the quote from Gene Wolfenbarger, pastor for many, many years. He's an old friend of mine in Texas. He said, if I was to ever write a book about the ministry... No one would ever go into the ministry. That's what he said. America was built on preaching. Our country was built. The D.L. Moody, who had an eighth grade education, but he's the one that said, uh, a man said, uh, well, that's a great quote. I've got it somewhere. (laughs) The world has yet to see a man that has totally yielded to him what he could do. And Moody said, I'll be that man. And God used him to help build our country. It was a Billy Sunday that got booze outlawed, the prohibition. He was an orphan. And his preaching style was different than Moody. Moody weighed 380 pounds, over six feet tall. Billy Sunday, scrawny guy, played professional baseball. He traveled half a mile every sermon he preached across the platform. R.A. Torrey was a scholar. J. Frank Norris, a sensationalist. Charles Finney was a lawyer. Whitfield was a hellion 
John Newton, a very wicked man, a slave, a, a, a slave dealer. And they all got saved and they preached. It was David Brainerd who was the prayer warrior and Gypsy Smith, the little gypsy boy, saved under a wagon, became a great preacher. Curtis Hudson pastored in Georgia. John Rice uh, uh, published the Sword of the Lord magazine and R.G. Lee was the wordsmith. When I was a teenager, it was Johnny Pope. John, letter E, Pope, no, uh, Johnny Pope, 19 years of age, traveling summers in between college, preaching youth revivals at churches. It was a preacher that started the church where our family got saved. It was a preacher that preached on a Sunday night when I got on a conviction and got saved that night. It was a preacher, it was a preacher that warned me and wooed me back to the Lord when I strayed, motivated me to be pure and become a soul winner. It was during the preaching I said, yes, I know what God has for my life. It was the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai that motivated Zerubbabel to finish the temple. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. John the Baptist, the preacher. Jesus, the hardest preacher in the Bible. His hardest sermons were to hypocrites. The preacher is to preach the word. He's to preach all of the word. It was Philip, the evangelist. He had four daughters that prophesied. It was said of Samuel, comest thou peaceably? It was Nathan that said, thou art the man. This book is filled with sermons. It is filled with with preachers writing letters to churches. It is all about the man of God and the message of God. Abraham Lincoln said, I love to see a preacher preach when it looks like he's fighting a hive of bumblebees. One pastor, he, he preached a sermon. He finished and then the next week he preached the same exact sermon at the same church. People said, okay, maybe he hadn't had time to study it. It's good, and we like this one. The next week, he preached the same sermon again, same exact sermon, three weeks in a row. Someone approached him and said, you know, Pastor, I don't know if you know that you've preached the same exact sermon three Sundays in a row. He said, I know. And when you all start living that one, I'll preach a new one. I love that. Heard about a preacher. He was going to preach on the second coming of Christ, and he had that text from Revelation where it says, Behold, I come quickly. And he said it. And he thought he'd get a reaction from the crowd. Nothing happened. So he backed up a little bit. and He kind of charged the pulpit. Behold, I come quickly. And he said it again. And nobody budged. He backed up again. Got a running start this time. He hit the pulpit too hard. The uh, little smaller pulpit fell into the audience. He landed on some people. He said, I'm so sorry. And one old lady said, you warned us you were coming three times. Let's turn over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 for a moment, if you will. 1 Timothy 4. I want to give you this in verse number 12. Verse number 12. Who's the preacher? What's your relationship with the preacher? What's he supposed to be? I think I'm called to preach. What's that mean, pastor? I, I see myself as a missionary. What's all that mean? 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. What's that mean? If you're going to be in ministry... You're simply saying, here's how you do it. Here's how you do this. You're the example. In what areas, Pastor? It says in word, conversation, that's lifestyle, love or charity, spirit, your attitude, faith, purity. Verse number 15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting or growth may appear to all. 
Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Don't be a quitter. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Preaching is to be an outgrowth of a life. I want to say this to the young men that think you're called to preach. It's not just up here. It's not just up here. That's the ball game. It's the practice court that counts. Those, those days and days and hours and hours of working out in the gym and practicing and shooting foul shots and all that, that's the game. So preaching has to be an outgrowth of a life you are already living. If I did not have a good marriage, and we have a great marriage, if I did not have a good marriage, I could still speak on marriage. Why? It's in the Bible. Truth is truth. But it sure does add a umph to my messages when I look out and see my wife taking notes. Babe, you need a pen right now? Oh, okay. When I see my wife taking notes on her husband's sermons, and then at the end of the message, kneeling, and she's got her little Catholic altar over here, if you want to come see it. She, she bought it at the Vatican when we were there, and, and it uh, helps her get up. But what's that do? It says what he's saying, she wants it. She believes it. She believes he believes it. That's the umph to it. If all of our kids have gone to the devil, I could still preach on child rearing because it's in the Bible. Truth is truth. Yet today... When all of our kids were serving God, doing something in their local church as adults, that adds a umph to the preaching of the Word of God. So here's the practical part of the message. We didn't have any points this morning, you know. We just, we just, said, we just said, there's good news. So here it is. You ready? All right, for the point takers. So how do you respond to preaching? We're coming up on the new year, 2024. If you're in church in Sunday school, if you're listening to a Bible study, uh, if you're not teaching, uh, if you're in church at 11, if you're in church Sunday night, church on Wednesday night, that's four times you're hearing God's word. How are you to respond? How am I to respond? Several things. Pray before the service. Just spend some time, whether in the car, come to church, get alone. Oh, Lord. I don't know what the sermon's on tonight, but I'm sure there's something in it for me. Help me be paying attention. Show me where to change something. In, uh, uh, embrace something. Teach me something. I'm ready for it. Hey, I am listening. Uh, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Amen. Number two, bring your Bible. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I can speak in the Philippines, and all the people that come to the service have a Bible. I can speak in Africa and all the people that come have a Bible. Only in America do people forget to bring their Bibles. And I'm not railing on you if you got an iPad, iPod, or maybe you have the original Ten Commandments on stone with you tonight. I don't know. But I'm just saying, it does something when you have that Bible in your lap and you're looking at it, you hear it, now you're looking at it, you're underlying it, it's something about it. Number next, take notes. Show God you're paying attention. Pull out that pen and say, I'm going to start doing this. Number four, listen. In Revelation chapter one, God talks about the preachers of the churches. He says the churches, Revelation one, are the candlesticks. They're the light of the world, these churches. 
I'm glad Napa still has Hopewell Baptist Church. By the way, now we're the only Baptist church in town. Used to be one right around the corner. I'm not going to say which straight. Well, well, both corners were Baptist churches. I was soul winning on Redwood Road yesterday. And I noticed people were setting up tables in this uh, church uh, front yard. And I said, hey, y'all having a wedding? No, wine tasting. They went from a Baptist church to wine tasting church. It was a fundraiser, so they needed people to come in. Well, maybe, maybe we'll do that next week, too. But no, I'm just kidding. Where are we? Where are we? Oh, okay. No. But in Revelation 1, it says the candlesticks of the churches. And then it says the stars are those leaders in that church or the pastors. Guess what those stars are? They're in the hand of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. If a pastor misbehaves, God's going to put a squeeze on him. God can handle a person that misbehaves more than you and I can. But someone sometimes asks, well, who's the pastor go to? Pastor gets discouraged. Who does he talk to? The pastor doesn't have a pastor. But he's got a special relationship with Jesus Christ. A special closeness that God says, hey, it's my church. You're my man. And... I just want you to know I'm close. Amen. So well, I don't like that. Well, good. Be a pastor. We'll help you get a church. I know several that need a church right now. Keep going. Use the altar. Don't ever get to the place where you're too good to leave your seat and come and kneel at an altar. Some people physically cannot. I've seen some of our older people walk down to the front and just stand and pray. You know what they're doing? They're saying, Lord... My heart is kneeling. My heart is kneeling. It's something about that. Something about it. Toward the pastor. So what's my relationship toward the pastor? I want to give you these quickly and then we've got a singspiration. Number one, pray for the pastor. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. It says, first of all, have supplications. And then he says, and pray for all them in authority. So every day, guess who needs prayer? The pastor. Yes. Amen. Uh, your kids are going to maybe pastor one day, be missionaries one day. Guess who's praying for them? Probably their people. Lord, bless mom and dad and the pastor. And the pa- help him today. Lord, help him. Pray for the pastor. Number two, obey what's preached. Amen. Obey what's preached. In Hebrews chapter 13, if you want to see it quickly. And uh, this will probably be the last verses I'll ask you to turn to. You've been great tonight. But Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And here's what he says. What a, what, a, what a great little passage here at the end of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verse 7. Notice what he says. Remember them which have the rule over you. Who are these people? Who have spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith follow. Know what that means? Pastor says, man, I think we need a building. You have followed that faith. We built building. The pastor just said something and pretty soon people rallied. We said, man, we need some worker. We got to start a church in Oakland. I had that faith and you followed. Because of that, there's a church there right now. Brother Shane Teagan has now bought a building. And I'm just so proud of those people there in Oakland whose faith followed. Then he says in 1317, he says, 
Oh, I love this. Obey them that have the rule over you. What's that mean? Obey what they tell you if it's from the Bible. Pastors don't just walk in a church, boss people around. Obey, the, uh, obey what is preached. That's what he's saying. And submit yourselves for they watch for your soul. Pray for the pastor. Obey what's preached. Number three, encourage. Amen. Exodus 17, 12. Moses, the man of God, is leading a million people. And when he held his hands up, a symbol of prayer. They had victory. When he got tired and his hands went down, they had defeat. Two good men, Aaron and Hur, held up his arms, and when they held them up, they had victory. You know what that means? There's got to be someone from time to time. You look a little weary. I'm going to do something to hold your arms up so you can pray. We need you. Let me encourage you. All of us do that to people. And sometimes you need to do that for the pastor. Number next, amen at the right time. There's always someone the wrong time. Hell has fire. Glory to God. <laughs> that isn't the time to shout. Years ago, Brother Kurt Williams over here, he's in heaven dancing on the golden streets right now, having a great time. But I remember I was saying something sarcastically and I said, the pastor doesn't need a raise. And Curtis said, amen. I said, shut up. <laughs> you want to amen at the right time. Brother Rick Dougherty used to sit in the back here. He was our World War II hero, him and Clark Firestone. Rick Dougherty led the attack at Iwo Jima on one of the 14 beaches. Only 14 people led an attack. He was a Marine. He led one of those attacks. He was age 16. We got him when he was in his 90s. And he had a high-pitched voice. That masculine voice was done gone. And I'd say something. He'd say, amen, amen. And I remember one day after church, he said, when I die, you're going to miss all my amens, aren't you? Amen. And I do. And I do. Encourage at the right time. Amen at the right time. Quickly, involvement. Do something in the church. You know, we can complain about the government and we may get nuked. Someone recently said, don't live anywhere near a military base. Well, there's Travis. If they nuke Travis, we're done. Or a refinery. That means like Martinez, Concord, Rodeo. Hey, we're doomed. That's why we put all this nuclear metal on this building. This is the only safe place. No, I'm just kidding. But if you're going to do something for the Lord, this is the time to get busy. If someone on the way out tonight said, what do you do for the Lord at this church? Would you say, I drive a bus. I'm out soul winning. On, by the way, where were you Saturday morning at 10? Amen. Amen. Well, pastor, I was watching cartoons. Well, I was, it's my only day to sleep in. We got a city to reach. We got to go after them. You're not going to see gospel tracts on other doors from other churches, not in our town. You're not going to find them in Vallejo. You're not going to find them in Fairfield. Uh, these cities are waiting on us. What do you do in the church? What do you, you say, well, I'm too old. You can pray. You can shake hands. You can encourage. Well, I'm young. You can pass out tracts. You can work on a bus route. You can work on the buses. You can clean the buses. You can blow the parking lot. There's always something to do. What else? Be accountable, not accountable. 
You heard about those two cannibals that were eating a clown? One of them said, does this taste funny to you? Oh, it's terrible. Okay, forget it. All right, that's what I said. Don't amen at the wrong time. Be accountable. That means this. If you're going to miss, pastor never minds if you let him know. Pastor, we're on vacation this week. We won't be in our place on Sunday. Man, I just like to know so I'm not worried. Because if you're not here, always think you're drunk and in jail. That's the first thing I think about, about all of you. Quickly, be faithful. If you ever see me writing any kind of notes when I'm up on the platform, almost every time I'm writing down absentees. Where's so-and-so? Where's this family? I didn't know they were gone. Where's, where's so-and-so? Are they sick? Are they back in the hospital? What's, what's going I, And I worry. And then I'm done with this, and then we'll go sing. Smile. Some people, I don't know if you meet people like this. I've met some people, they always look like they're in pain, and they're not. They never smile. Well, pastor, if you had all my problems. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Years ago, we had a nationally known pastor came to our church. Someone was in our church that had attended his college for a while. And the pastor had thousands and thousands of members in his church. No way he could know everyone by name. He's sitting on the platform and he said, that lady over here, she was at my college. Here's what he said. I remember her smile. He would be preaching and there'd be some grumpy person over here and someone, I don't believe that. Someone's sleeping over here And he'd look over there and he saw a smile. In other words, preach it, pastor. You'll never know. I was talking to Brother Quinn this morning. Kathleen Quinn's down in Texas visiting one of her kids. She'll be back, I think, Tuesday. But if you've ever seen those Quinn grandkids, their little granddaughter's named Millie. When that little girl walks in the auditorium and sits down for church, the whole pew starts glowing. She's so excited to be here. She loves the saints. She loves the preaching. Just a thought. Be a pastor or help a pastor. Some of you are going to raise a full-time servant. You have one in your home right now. One of your sons or daughters is going to go into the ministry. Maybe your grandchildren. Maybe Someone in your Sunday school class. Maybe someone on the bus route. By the way, did you see Caleb today? The one that got baptized. He had that long fluffy hair. He said, he's 15. Rode the bus today. He said, man, I want to get baptized. And we said, do you have permission from your parents? Nope, but I want to get baptized. You know, we don't baptize minors because we don't want their parents mad and then not, you know, lose the family. And there it is. He's calling her on the phone. Can I get baptized? You know, you'd never see that 30 years ago. It was so cool. Then he got suited up, got baptized, smiling after the service. Someone like that adds. Let's be what we're supposed to be in our relationship to the pastor and to the Lord. I will only speak a message like this once every 38 years. (laughs) 
So that makes me 106. I may address it again. And so thank you for listening. Father, thank you for this time.